Today we're looking again at 2 Timothy. Let's start our scripture text in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and we'll read verses 1 through 5. Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now before anybody says, oh no, he's going to start this again. I'm just reading the scripture. Here we go. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do with them. Now, if we didn't know better, we would think that somebody wrote this this past week. But believe it or not, Paul wrote this to Timothy about the church that Timothy was pastoring. The church at Ephesus existed in a society that did not have a particularly rosy future. Tough times lay ahead for that church. Paul himself was in Rome, and he was in prison. This time he was in a real prison, as he wrote this letter. Um, The first time he wrote a letter, it was probably from Rome, and it was a time when he was under house arrest in a much different situation. But things had declined to a point to where Paul was actually in a cold prison cell. Paul wanted Timothy to prepare the church for those perilous times that lay ahead. Now, keep in mind, Paul was writing this letter to the church. And he wasn't writing it to the church just about the outside world. He was writing to the church about people in the church too. If it was that bad in that day, you would think that by now we would have gotten it right. Sadly, it's probably gotten worse. The things, again, that Paul was talking about were not just things outside. Of course, a lot of the opposition that they faced was from the outside. But there was also people inside the church that were stirring up things, people that were saying things that weren't true, teaching things that weren't true. And today, as we look at these things that Paul talked about, I would ask, let's not look around the room this morning and see who each of these things fits or who we can pin each one of these on, or think about someone that's not here today. Well, I know who, who that fits. Let's look at it this way. David, in Psalm 139 and 23, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. As we talk for the next few minutes about some different things that Paul wrote to Timothy, could we ask the Lord, rather than looking around at somebody else, say, Lord, Search my heart. Search me and see if there be any of these things in me. Now, let's look at some of the things Paul listed. He said men would be lovers of themselves. In the last days, people would be self-loving, self-centered, almost to the point of setting themselves up as God. For a lot of people in our society today, their world revolves around themselves. We live in the most narcissistic society society that has ever existed. The rate of narcissism among high school graduates is huge because a lot of these kids have grown up with their parents telling them everything they did was good. You can be anything you can be, which is true if you put the effort in. They grew up in a society where... When you went out to play Little League, nobody kept score because everybody's a winner. And you know what? That's not real life. Because at some point you have to face some opposition. And if you're not prepared for it, how are you going to face it? And so we have this society that everything should be about me. I should always win. But if everybody thinks that, it doesn't work. Because everybody can't always win. And what cause, what happens is it causes people to care very little about the welfare of others. When all we think about is me, then we're not thinking about those that are around us. So Paul said there would be, men would be lovers of themselves. 
He said they would be lovers of money. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having money in large amounts. One of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible, I believe, is 1 Timothy 6 and 10. And people say that they quote, think they're quoting the scripture and they say money is the root of all evil. That's not what the scripture says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Having money itself is not evil. I wish I had a lot more. But what happens is people substitute seeking God after seeking wealth. And instead of seeking for what really matters and what's eternal, they're seeking for the things that matter here on earth. And you know what? It's not all just their fault because there's so many pastors and ministers that teach from the pulpit about prosperity that that's what it's all about that if you do this this and this god will bless you abundantly and you'll become rich and wait a minute lovers of money paul said in the last days many people believe that prosperity is the measure of success and it's the solution of life's problems and because of that, they pursue money at all cost. Paul said that men would be boasters. They would be making claims that they can do things themselves. They don't give God credit for the success that they've garnered. If you look around the world today, we see so many people touting their abilities without giving God the credit. In churches too. Arrogant believing that they are superior to others. They hold contempt for everyone other than themselves. That goes back to the whole narcissism thing. And this happens in churches as well. Blasphemers, insulter, abusive. Their pride leaves them to have contempt for other people as well as for God. I said men would become disobedient. People would neglect their duties to their parents, the respect that they should have towards their parents. Disrespect for, for rules and laws, authority, and their elders. And truly, we see that in our society today. Ungrateful. People are thankless, refusing to acknowledge what they've received from God or from other people. Now you say, well, Paul said this was in the last days. Well, if that means if we're seeing this now, I would say that we're probably in the last days. He goes on, he says, unholy. Unholy. I believe that that covers a very broad spectrum, but let's look at it this way. Someone that fails to acknowledge even common decency. A lifestyle that's not just against the Bible, but even against society's moral standards for common decency. Our world is full of that. Not just people that live against the Bible, but they, they live a life that doesn't even match up to moral standards of society in general. Without love, callous or indifferent attitude, in, indifferent attitudes toward family relationships, a lack of desire to have close ties with other human beings, unforgiving, people that have an unrelenting bitterness, inability to give up hatred, inability to make peace with people that they have a dispute with. And it's really sad to say that some of the biggest offenders of this particular thing are in churches. Some of the most bitter people I've ever met were people in a church that had gone through a church split or through problems within a congregation and the bitterness was just incredible. Yet these people still considered themselves Christians. Slanderers. Someone that destroys someone else's good reputation, often just to make themselves look good. Treacherous. Someone that betrays others, gratifies old grudges by seeking revenge. A schemer. And Paul goes on, and he lists several more things, but we can see that the very things that Paul told Timothy to warn the church about we see right in our society today. Now, again, I ask you, let's not look around at, at our neighbors and, and those in this building today. Let's say, Lord, please help me to search my heart. 
and see if any of these things are in me. And if they are, help me to get rid of them. Paul made it clear also in verse 5 of this passage we just read that many of these people would be outwardly religious, but inwardly their religion would be powerless. For many people today, church is something that you do. Just a place you go. Sometimes you go every week. Sometimes you go on Christmas and Easter. C&E Christians. Christmas and Easter. A type of culture. Cultural or social Christians. Where it's, it's about the group. It's about the people that are there. It's not about going and meeting with God. It's not about going and, and worshiping God. It's not about going and hearing from the Lord. It's about going and just doing your obligation by sitting there. There is no such thing as a cultural or social Christian. Either we are or we are not. Paul told Timothy to tell the church not to have anything to do with those type of people. He said, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Before I move on, I want to touch on a little portion of that. And that's the three words, denying its power. Acts in chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to read that one more time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There are too many powerless Christians in the world today. Where does the power come from? It comes only through receiving the Holy Spirit in our life. When we have received the Holy Spirit, we will have power. When we have power, we will be witnesses. Isn't that what the Scripture says? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So that it would stand to reason that today, if we receive the Holy Spirit, and we claim to have the Holy Spirit, that we have power in our life, and if we have power in our life, that we are witnesses. That's what it says. So what, what happened? In the second chapter of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, it says that 120 people were in a rented upstairs hotel banquet hall. Basically what it was. That's where they were. Well, one thing that happened there was it was probably one of the last times that any group of believers ever gathered and were in one accord. Or at least it says they were. But that's another lesson. It goes on to say, in verse 2, that they heard wind, they saw fire, and they spoke in tongues. That's what it says, if you keep on reading. There, there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind. And it says that cloven tongues of fire appeared on the heads of each one of them. And it says that they spoke in tongues. But what really happened? What really happened that day? In 1823, there were two explorers that set out. One on horseback from St. Augustine, Florida, and one from Pensacola, set out by boat. And these two men traveled toward each other. After many days of travel, they met in a small Indian village. It was a beautiful site that the Creek and the Seminole Indians called Tallahassee. It was derived from the words Tawa, meaning town, and Ahassee, meaning old. 
And when they got there, they shook hands. So here's a man left from Pensacola. Here's a man left from St. Augustine. They traveled, and wherever they met, that's where they stopped and they shook hands. Now you ask one of the Indians in that tribe, that what happened that day? Two men came from nowhere and they shook hands. True, that's what happened. But what really happened that day? What really happened that day is these two men set out to find a place that was equidistant from Pensacola and St. Augustine so that they could set up a capital for the state of Florida that would be somewhere in the middle by travel. That place was Tallahassee, and today it is still the state capital of Florida. So what really happened was that there was a place that was set up for the Florida legislature to meet. Now what the Indians saw was true too. But that's not what really happened. Look at it this way. Now I want you to really grasp this, so just please stay with me here. Let's say this afternoon, Brother Jerry and I decide to go to a Buccaneers game. After the game, he and I are walking out to the car, and there's these aliens standing out in the parking lot from who knows where. And they look at us and they say, what happened in there? And I tell them, it was, it was incredible. There's five guys that have on black and white striped shirts. They have black pants and they have black ball caps on. And they have a yellow flag in their pocket that hangs out. And they have this lanyard with a whistle. And they're on this field that's 100 yards long and 50 yards wide. And all day long, they run up and down that field. And every now and then, for no apparent reason, they throw that flag out and blow the whistle. So if you want to play football, when you go home, you get the outfit, you get a yellow flag, and you get a whistle, and run up and down your front yard, and every now and then just throw that yellow flag out and blow the whistle. Now, is that what happened? Yes, it did. It did happen. That is something that happened. And so they look at me like I'm crazy, and they look at Brother Jerry and say, what did you see? He said, it was pretty incredible. He said, I've never been to a place like that before. They have $8 hot dogs. They have $5 bottles of water. And you can buy this little tiny thing of nachos for 6 bucks. Pretty incredible. Did that happen? Yeah. But what really happened? What really happened was a football game took place. You had 11 guys on offense and 11 guys on defense. And they would go at it hard all day, up and down that 100-yard that field for hours. Just fighting it out. That's what really happened. A football game took place. On the day of Pentecost, there was wind, there was fire, there were tongues... But what really happened? They received power. That's what really happened. Look at Acts 1 and 8 again. When you receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, those other things did happen, but what really happened is they received power and they became witnesses. That's what really happened. Because, see, they weren't there for the fire. They weren't there for the wind. They weren't there even just for the tongues. They were there for the power. When the Holy Ghost comes on you, you will receive Power. Acts 1 and 8 said nothing about wind, fire, or tongues. None of that. Didn't say it. Said you'll receive power and you'll be witnesses. Those other things took place. But that's not what it's all about. 
I am sometimes criticized by some that say that I am trying to get away from Pentecost. Let me say this. No, I'm not. What I'm trying to do is to get back to what Pentecost was really about. Not what it has become. It has become something that it was never intended to be. It was about power. Not power that a man could wield over a congregation and control people. Not power that would be for show by blowing on people or slapping them in the head so they'd fall down. No. It was about the power of the Holy Spirit. Power to be witnesses. Power to be overcomers. Paul spoke of people that had a form of godliness, but they denied the power. And he said, stay away from those people. And I would say that what Paul really meant, if people don't have power, they're really not Christians. If people don't have power, they're not really Christians. Let me say that again. If people don't have power, they're not really Christians. Well, why do you say that? Because the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll have power. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the Holy Ghost into your life? Do you have power? It is very likely that we will face some difficult times in the months and years to come. Without that power that the Holy Spirit gives us, how do we intend on standing? Let's go back to our scripture text. Second Timothy three, twelve through seventeen. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul wanted the church of that day to pursue godly living, not to give in to the values of the world around him. He said there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be people that try to lead you astray. And Paul knew it wouldn't be easy. And he knew that those who chose to live a godly life would face opposition. But the alternative was much worse than facing opposition. Timothy was encouraged to press on with his ministry. And the foundation of his ministry was to be the Word. I believe that Timothy was raised to know the Word. Paul speaks of that. I believe that part of that was memorization of the Scriptures so that he knew what the Word said. We've talked before, how do we know what's right and wrong if we don't know what the rule book says? This foundation of knowing the Word gave Timothy the, the foundation that he could stand when opposition came along. Paul said, believe what you have been taught. What we have taught you because you know us. Don't just latch on to everything that comes along and everybody that claims to be something from God. If it doesn't match up with what we're saying, then don't buy into it. And Paul reminded Timothy of three characteristics of the Scripture. The first one is its source. 
Paul called Scripture God-breathed in verse 16. If Scripture came from God, and if we believe today that Scripture is written or was written by men that were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then it's just like God said it Himself. And Paul was trying to make a point to Timothy. If it came from God, then you can trust in it. It's not just from man. It's inspired by God. Man wrote it as they were inspired by God. God was, I believe, God was present with everything that was written in this book. Second characteristic of Scripture was its usefulness. Paul said that the Scripture was useful. It was practical. It had a value. It wasn't just a book that we read so we can fall asleep at night. There's value to this book. And he describes its usefulness in, in particular words. He said it teaches. The Bible is a book of history. It shows account after account of how people lived their life this way and this was the outcome. They lived their life this way and this was the outcome. It teaches us by others' mistakes so that we don't have to make them. It's much better to learn from somebody else's mistake than have to go make them all over. Yet, we still continue to make them, even though we read them in, we read in the Bible where this person did this, this, and this, and this is what happened, and we don't believe it's going to happen to us. So the, the Bible teaches. Now, it's not just negative because it also shows us those that had this relationship with God that was so powerful. Like Enoch, he was, he was so godly that he never even died. He was just translated up into heaven. It's not all negative. Scripture rebukes. Scripture is also a mirror. It helps us to, to pick it up and look at ourselves by the Scripture to see how we line up. It helps to point out the sin in our life and convict us of our sin. But not just it doesn't just stop there. It also offers a solution for the sin. And that's our faith in Christ. That is our hope of salvation. It corrects. It's a yardstick. It's, it's that mark, that benchmark where you had a craftsman that would have a, a mark on his bench as he worked, and that was the guideline that he went by. That was the benchmark. This is a Christian's benchmark. This is what we try to measure up to. And when we don't measure up, we realize we've come short, so it helps to correct us. It also lets us know that if somebody says something else that doesn't measure up to this, it doesn't work. It trains. It's a training manual. Now I know as guys, we don't like to read the instructions. It's easier just to take it all out of the box and just start putting it together. And a lot of times in our lives, we do the exact same thing. We dump the box out and we just start putting it all together. And then we go, what in the world have I created? We go back and get the instructions out. And we go, oh, I see. And we do the same thing. But this is an instruction manual that works much better if you read the instructions first before you start putting your life together. The third characteristic of the Scripture is its power. We talked a little bit about power. And since this power comes from God, it has the ability... To change people's lives. Amen. Scripture does not just contain words of, of rebuke and correction and teaching and training. Since it's from God, it contains words of encouragement. It contains words of, of, of thanksgiving and words of uplifting. And things that we can hold on to in times of trouble. And peace. Because it is from God. 
And Paul made it clear to Timothy that all Scripture was written by inspiration in the King James. All Scripture. Not just the parts we like, but all Scripture is God-breathed or written under the inspiration of God. And all of it is useful for teaching. All of it is useful for rebuking. We can't just decide, well, I like this part a lot. But this one Scripture right here, I just don't really like at all. Because if you can't buy into the whole book, then take the whole book and throw it away. This is an all or nothing book. Second Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. If I were a professor at a university today where people go to study to become ministers, I think this would probably be one of the most important scriptures that you could ever read. Preach the word. Because in today's society of churches, there is so much other stuff being taught that's not in the Word. Preach the Word. Paul made all this in the, the previous chapter. He gave all the importance of the Word and what all the things that it did and all the things that it could accomplish. And then he does this introduction and he says, Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of sin season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and with careful instruction. Going on. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In that day, there was a group of people called the Sophist. And they were a class of Greek philosophers that traveled from city to city, offering to teach on a variety of subjects for a price. They were formally trained in debate and argument, and they collected fees for their service. And in turn, for the fees, they taught pretty much whatever you want them to tell you. You give me money, and I'll tell you what you want me to tell you. And I can make it, make you believe it, even if you know it's wrong. Because they were trained in debate and they were trained in arguing. They were smart people. But in this city of Ephesus where Timothy was, there was no shortage of these people around. And they would gather huge crowds and they'd collect their money and they'd tell them whatever they wanted to hear. Sound familiar? They just don't call them the same thing today. Plato, not Plato, Plato, called the sophists. This is a quote. He said, They are hunters after young men of wealth and position with sham education as their bait and a fee for their object, making money by scientific use of quibbles in private conversation while quite aware that what they are teaching is wrong. I assure you today that if you look hard enough and you go to enough churches, you will find one that will teach what you want to hear. But I would ask you this. Do you want to find a church that teaches what you want to hear? Or do you want to find a church that teaches you what the Word of God says? Amen. Going on. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of the evangelist, discharge all the duties 
of your ministry. Paul didn't want Timothy and the church to use the Scripture just for their own benefit. The point of, of knowing the Scripture and teaching the Scripture wasn't so they could just teach each other and, and they'd all know the Scripture real well. That's good. That's why we're here this morning. But that's not what it's all about. We learn the Scripture. We have the power of God in our life to be witnesses so that when we go out, we have that power to help us to, to face the world and we have the Scripture to know what to say. It was a very crucial thing for the church to take what Paul was saying very seriously. You have to realize that in that day, the church was brand new. Doing some research yesterday, my friend Gary and I were doing some research trying to find out about how many people, how many Christians there were around this time. And there was no definitive answer, but it was probably somewhere around eight to 10,000 people. The church was very young. And Paul knew that unless the people continued in what he had taught, that that group of several thousand people in that area would dwindle down to nothing. I believe that we have the exact same call on our lives today. We realize first that the Scripture is written by inspiration of God. We realize that it is truly God-breathed. That it is God's words that were written by men. And we, we realize that to a point that we take this and we learn what it says. We receive the Spirit of God into our life and we get that power. And with those two things, we go out into a world and we do the work of an evangelist. That's what Paul said. Paul said to be instant, in season and out of season. Be prepared at all times. How do we do that? I believe that that means we stay ready. We pray. We have a prayer life. We stay in contact with God. We have this Word hid in our heart, as David said. Why? Because it's hard to be instant in season and out of season because we don't always have a Bible in our hand. And if the only time we can tell somebody a Scripture and what the Bible says is when we have a Bible, we're going to be very limited in our witnessing. And Paul knew that there would come a day that there would be people teaching all sorts of things. But the reason there were people teaching all sorts of things is because there was a demand for it. It's kind of like today. We, we talk about all the drug dealers and, and all the things out there. The reason there's a lot of drug dealers out there is because there's a lot of demand for it. There's people that are looking for it. And the reason there's so many false teachers and, and churches that don't teach anything close to what the Bible says is because there's a lot of people looking for it. They're looking for something to soothe them. Paul said it in a way that they have itching ears. Kind of like a dog when his ear itches. Got that leg up there scratching that ear. And that's all they're looking for. Somebody scratch him on the head. Pat him on the back. Tell him they're going to heaven. And he said that in that day, people would no longer look for the truth. They just look for someone to tell them what they want to hear. And Paul knew that if that day came, 
And the people of the churches that he had established decided to follow after that. All of the work that he had done and all the people that had put in so much effort, all that work would be in vain. And if in today's society, in churches today, if we don't grasp hold of the Spirit of God and receive God's Spirit into our life, we cannot be overcomers. We cannot be effective witnesses. And if we're not careful, we will see our churches drift away. Paul concluded the whole thing that he read here with to stay, continue to endure hardship. Stay the course. And continue in their efforts to evangelize their known world. In order to know what is false, we need to know what is true. I'm not standing here today saying that I speak the only truth. That would be very narrow-minded of me and self-touting. But I do know this. We can only know what's true when we study the Word of God under the leading of the Holy Spirit. If you remember Philip, he was going across the desert and here came this man in a chariot across the desert and he was reading from Isaiah, I believe. And he's reading this scroll. I don't know how he did that. I had cruise control or something, I guess. And he's reading the scroll as he's going along. And Philip yells out, do you have any idea what you're reading? He goes, no, not really. There's a lot of people like that today. Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no. He said, well, come up here and tell me what it says. And so Philip got up in the chariot and he told him what it said. And he said, well, there's some water. Can you baptize me here? Yeah. There's a lot of people that read this and they don't understand it. That's why I said we need to read this under the influence of the Holy Spirit so that we understand what it says. So that we're not like that guy going across the desert just reading and reading and reading and reading, having a good time reading. You understand what, you, what it says? Nope, not a word. It doesn't do a bit of good if we don't understand it. The Bible is the standard whereby all things... And all teaching is measured. We must not be duped by false teachers that say only what we want to hear. There are times that the Word, when it comes forth in a service, in, from preaching or from teaching or however it comes out, there are times that the Word might hurt just a little bit. Remember Paul said that Scripture was for correction. Sure. And correction is not always happy, happy, happy. Sometimes correction hurts. And there are so many people today. There's a terminology in our society today that never existed. And it's called church shopping. People shop for churches. They go from church to church to church. You know why? They're trying to find one that teaches what they want to hear. a lot more comfortable that way. Because you can leave church feeling good. If your life is not right and you leave church feeling good about it, something is wrong. Yes, we should enjoy coming to church. We should enjoy worshiping. And we should enjoy hearing the Word. And we should have a smile on our face when we, when we praise God. But... The power of God should be such in our services that people's hearts are convicted and they seek to find a solution to the problem.
There's a very prominent minister, pastors a huge church. And he said on Larry King in an interview that he doesn't preach much about sin. No, he actually said he doesn't preach about sin. Let me get that right. He doesn't preach about sin. Most of his preaching is on how to make your life better and be successful. Your life better. It's not about this life. This is about our soul. This is about eternity. This life is, a, as the Bible says, but a vapor. It's here and gone. It's as a flower that wilts. It's there one day and it's gone. This life is nothing. Why would we waste time in the pulpit trying to tell people how to become successful and have a great life? Yes, I want you to have a happy life. I want you to be successful. And I want you to be happy as you go through life until you die and go to heaven. But that's not the main thing that we should focus on. Those things are nice to have while we're here. But I guarantee you, you never saw a funeral procession and they were hauling a U-Haul trailer behind the hearse. Never. That's right. And sure. And you know, I could stand here today, and I could say things that make us laugh, and things that make us look at each other and go, "He is so funny." Or, he makes me feel so good about myself. Those things are not hard to do. I'm a salesman. It's what I do for a living. But I tell you what that kind of church is. It's not what Christianity is. But it's what a lot of Christianity has become. It's, it's Christianity light or diet Christianity. Just one calorie. And I would say this, God help me if that's all I accomplish here today, is to make you laugh and make you feel good about yourself. Because that's not what it's about. It's about the power. And let me say this, if what I say today, if it matches up with the Bible, and I've not said it in a way that was offensive, and you really didn't like it, I'm not going to apologize. Thank you. Let me say that again. If what I have said today matches up to this book right here, and I didn't say it in a way that was just mean and offensive, and you didn't like what I said, I will not apologize. Because I will not be the one that Paul spoke of in chapter 4, verse 3, who said that they taught what itching ears wanted to hear. The truth will always be the truth. Let me ask you this morning. Have you received the power? Do you want it? Maybe you won't see all the things that they saw on the day of Pentecost when you're filled with the Spirit. I will tell you this, I've never seen tongues of fire sit on anyone's head. I've never heard a rushing mighty wind come through the building. But all that's another sermon also. But I will tell you this, when you receive the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. 
That's from the Word of God. It is a gift. It is paid for. It is a promise. And it is for you today. God bless you.